0: Colossians chapter 3, and then I want to encourage you uh, to put a finger maybe or a card or something over in Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and, and uh, as we get started this morning, uh, let's open up with a word of prayer and ask God to bless. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that we've had to worship you and sing praises to you through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and God, I pray that you would bless now the teaching and preaching of your word. God, that you would open up our hearts, that you would challenge us. God, as we begin this new year, that we might put first things first. God, I pray for each person that's here. I pray that if there's somebody in our midst or somebody listening online, God, that if they have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that today might be that day that they realize they have a need of a Savior, God, someone to forgive them of their sins, and God, that after that realization, God, that they would uh, call out upon the name of the Lord to forgive them and to come into their lives. God, I pray that for those who are believers, that God, that we might desire to bring you the honor and the glory that you so richly deserve, not only today, but in the upcoming year. God, I pray that you be with me. God, uh, speak through me. Use me as a vessel that you can flow through freely. And God will be careful to give you the praise and the glory for all that you'll do. For it's in Jesus' most precious name and for his sake that we pray this in all of our prayers. Amen and amen. Well, as you can see on the screen, uh, we're continuing our series this morning, uh, our new series that we began last week entitled Resolutions. And uh, so as we get started, I want to remind us what I said last week If we're going to make resolutions, we have to have a definition, what is a resolution? And so remember last week I said, a resolution is a firm decision, watch, a firm decision to do or not to do something. And so let's keep that in mind as we think about resolutions, New Year's resolutions and and, uh, and a lot of people make New Year's resolutions, but as we talked about last week, many times they last about three days. In fact, some of you here may have made a New Year's resolution, and now on January the 6th, you have already faltered. Anybody brave enough to admit that? Oh, praise the Lord. We got some, we got some brave people. Hold on. Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Listen, we, we falter on some of these resolutions, which is why we need to be concerned of why we're making them, but as I said last week, for who are we making them, right? And so let's continue on. Last week, if you remember, I encouraged us all to review, kind of like take a personal review of how we've been living our lives this past year and, and look at our lives personally to see you know, if there was any unresolved conflict, if there was any uh, problems or any personal sins that we needed to deal with and uh, we looked at the life of David, and we'll talk about that again here in a second. But really, folks, my desire, you're like, why do you do a series entitled Resolutions, right? My desire is that, not, that, that, that we don't just sit around and make frivolous uh, uh, decisions or a firm decision to do this or to do that, but that we would make some biblical, watch the word that I inserted there, biblical resolutions that might not only provide us with some personal, um, some personal success, but they would also be those resolutions that would actually bring honor and glory to God. And so today I want us to consider the opportunity that we have when it comes to God's Word. And as you can see, let's God, let God's Word dwell in you is kind of the subtitle here of our resolution today. And, and uh, I want us to consider, you know... We have an opportunity to make God's Word a priority in our lives. But for some reason, we rarely do that. Uh, Let me ask a question. I was asking uh, my wife yesterday, and and, uh, she really didn't play into my hands. But has anybody ever stayed at somebody's home or been to a hotel or to a hostel or to some type of uh, cabin or whatever where you have felt unwelcomed, unwanted, uh, you know, you go, you go to Cousin Eddie's house, right, at Christmas, and you got Cousin Eddie's dog, Schnotz, staring you in the face, right, and you feel unwelcome when it's all said and done. It's like you feel almost out of place. You ever been there? And you may have been on the road. You may have stayed in hotels. You may have been to the fanciest hotels and homes in the world. And maybe you've traveled the world over and you say, you know what, like my wife, no, I've never really had that experience. I've never been anywhere where I really felt unwelcome or unwanted or unrecognized. You know, sometimes you go places and people pretend like they don't even hear you. Like a lot of times that happens, you know, you'll go and you'll call down and say, I'm allergic to feather pillows. Could you send some foam pillows up and four hours later you have to call back, right? Right. And so sometimes these happen, but sometimes you go to places and you may feel welcome. But here's what I've always said you can go to some of the nicest cities in the world, you can stay in some of the fanciest hotels in the world, and after a while, you just want to go home. You just want, listen, you just want to sleep in your own bed. You just want to be able to open up the pantry and pull out a box of cereal and eat it for no reason at all. Just because it's good. You're like, why did that come up? Well, because yesterday I selfishly bought some Pop-Tart cereal. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Whoever created that cereal is a genius. I tried to swindle my wife into eating it and she just looked at me as if I was an idiot. I was like, babe, it's so good. And I tried to convince her. I said, it's like Cheerios. It's like honey nut Cheerios with a touch of brown sugar. She says, no, thank you. I just kept on feeding it to my face. I didn't even have milk. I was eating it as if it was like chips. I was like just sitting around eating cereal. (laughs) Pray for me. (laughs) The point is, guys, the point is whether you've ever felt unwelcomed, unwanted, or unrecognized, or if you have been to some place and you have felt loved and encouraged, at the end of the day, you just want to go home. You don't feel at home. I don't care how nice the bed is. I don't care how pleasant the sheets are and how wonderful the the shower nozzle is in the bathroom at the hotel. At the end of the day, those who travel around the world, right, Vaughn? You just want to go home. And so let's notice. You say, what's the big deal? Well, it's right there in our text. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In verse number 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you in all wisdom, richly in all wisdom. Now here's what I want you to key in on. Notice the word dwell, right? The word dwell comes from a Greek word innoikeo, in Oikeo, it's actually a compound word, which means it comes from two other words joined together. So it comes from the word N, E-N, which means in, and then it comes from the word oikeo. Oi-O-Y-K-E-O. Oikeo, which actually means to reside, watch this, or to occupy a house. Right? So together, when you put these two words together, the word innoikeo actually means to inhabit or dwell. And it's the same word that's used throughout all of Greek literature, which represents and indicates a permanent residency. It speaks of a permanent residency. It means that it's not going to become tired. It's not going to feel unwelcomed. It's not going to feel like it's unwanted or, or, or anything like that. It's going to take up permanent residency. By the way, some of you may not have a King James Bible in your hand. What I want you to know is that God's word is consistent. So the word dwell or ko" in the King James Version is the exact same word. Are you ready for this? That's used in many, many other translations. In fact, yesterday or three days ago, I counted at least seven. It was the New King James, the ESV, the NIV, the NASB, the RSV, the CSB, the HCSB, all of them use the same word dwell. So you say, well, I don't like the King James. Well, in your Bible, it probably says the word dwell. And it comes from the same Greek word. So whether you have a word-for-word translation or a theme or thought-for-thought translation, the idea here, watch the verse again, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So essentially, all of these versions, it makes no difference what, they're all suggesting and saying the exact same thing. You see, as believers, God, through the Apostle Paul, is telling the church here at Colossus, he's telling them that the Word of Christ should receive such a warm reception, such a warm welcome, that it should never feel out of place in our heart. So, I simply ask the question, does the Word of God have that kind of place in your heart as we begin 2019? See, does God's word feel at home in your heart? Does it really dwell in us richly? Does it feel comfortable in your life? When somebody speaks God's word, are you comfortable or are you like, ah, 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 don't bring up God's word because that rubs me the wrong way, right? And so there's, there's, there's a difference. You're either going to feel comfortable when God's word is communicated, read, heard, or applied in your life, or there's going to be a little bit of a resistance factor. And let's be honest, we're all covered with flesh, And so I think at the very very outset, there's always going to be a little bit of resistance, right? Because the flesh and the spirit, they war against one another, as Paul wrote to the church at Colossus. But I ask the question, is God's word at home in your heart? Is God's word treated like a stranger? Is God's word treated like an occasional visitor? Or is God's word at home? You see, the word of God is essential for your stability it's essential for my stability it's essential for our success as the as we journey through this life as believers in fact i was teaching in our bible study class this morning and guys if you'll put up acts chapter 20 verse 32 i was teaching in our bible study class this morning we were finishing chapter 20 of acts and the apostle paul is meeting with these leaders who are going to take over the ministry in the city of ephesus after he leaves And so he's giving them some instructions. He's encouraging them. He's telling them how he lived his life. And then here in verse 32, here's what he says to them. He says, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, speaking of his word, which is able to build you up, number one, and it's also able to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. See, Paul always directed people to God. And to his word. Listen, the Hebrews agreed with this teaching as well. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, you may have heard this before, but God's word is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two edged sword. Listen, it is vital. It is vital for our success, it's vital for our stability. But let me ask you the question do we really understand that what I'm holding in my hand is a treasure? It's a treasure. You know, there are many places around the world. We went to the Museum of the Bible uh, during our missions revival this year. We took a couple of charter buses and we went up to the Museum of the Bible and, and on one of the floors they had this area that basically indicated all the regions and all the languages of the world that still had no copy of God's word. And it was overwhelming. I sat there and I took the pano Uh, you know, the pano button on the phone because I am an excellent pano photographer as was indicated the other day. And I went like this. Went all the way around and they were using yellow blockades to distinguish the areas of the world that had no scripture whatsoever. It's a treasure to have God's word. And yet I'm afraid if we're not careful, we take it for granted. But James, James writing in James chapter 1 and verse 21 reminds us that, uh, that God's word, that this is how we receive with meekness. He says, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He tells us this. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says that his word shall not return unto him void, but it shall accomplish that which he pleases and that it shall prosper to the thing whereunto he sends it. It's incredibly important when we think of God's Word. I was doing my research this week, and remarkably, the statistics are in. Guys, if you'll show the uh, top resolutions for 2019. I saw them the other day on the news. If you'll look with me at the top resolutions. Top resolution was to exercise more. Anybody make that resolution this year? Never mind, don't answer. 13%. Number two was to quit smoking. 12% of the people made that resolution. Number three was vowing to lose weight. Not to lose weight, but just making the vow to lose weight. Hey, listen, I'm going to make a vow. That's a big resolution for me this year. I'm going to make that vow. There's nothing about keeping the vow. It's just I'm making the vow to lose weight. That was number three. Eating healthier, 9%. Being a better person. (laughs) I resolved to be a better person this year. How? See, if we're, if we're not careful, we make these resolutions with no thought of why or how we're going to accomplish them. In fact, if you think about it, look at all these. Keep them up there for a second. All of these deal with the desire to improve our health, to improve our life, or to improve our behavior. But I suggest that if, that if God's word took up residency in our hearts the way that Colossians 3.16 says, that all... Three of these would see results. We would have improved health. We would have improved life. We would have improved behavior. But I would suggest that we would also see a fourth category fulfilled if we allowed the word of God to dwell in us richly in all wisdom. And I believe that would be an improvement in our spiritual journey as well. See, I believe that if God's word takes up residency in my heart the way that God says it should, that that's not only going to improve my health, that's not only going to improve my life, it's not only going to improve my behavior, but it's going to improve my relationship with Jesus, which should be first and foremost in our lives. It's been said that our character and our desire of our hearts won't change until our habits change. Think about it. It said our character and the desire of our heart won't change until our habits change. Which is why I tell people every day. Some people come to me, ask questions, counseling question or just advice or whatever. And if I recognize that there's an area that we can get some biblical help for, then I'll, I'll point that out. But I encourage people all across the board, whether you ever come to me or not, put something good in every day right? Open up the tank, open it up, put something good in every day and let it flow down to the, not even into the recesses of your mind, but to your heart, right? And if we'll put something good in, and when I'm talking about putting something good, I'm referencing God's word. Put something good in. But I can tell you this, and this is a different message for a different day, but time in God's word just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Uh, we have to choose wisely to make that happen. It's crazy to me. It seems that we have time for all kinds of things. We have time to check email. I heard, I was talking with somebody, uh, I believe it was yesterday, and I said something about email me or I'll email them, and, and it was something about this person had a 1,000 unopened emails. I was like, what? I was like, delete them all. You take control of that email and just get rid of all of those emails because if you haven't opened them up, they're, 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 it's, Listen get rid of it, right? We have time to check email. We have time to scroll through social media sites. Uh Uh-oh. Hours upon hours. Does anybody have that little thing on their phone that tells you at the end of the day how much time you spent on social media? I've been noticing that my phone tells me that uh, recently. It just recently started telling me, you spent 42 minutes on the interwebs or whatever, right? Right? Anybody get a message that says you spend hours upon hours upon hours? You've got carpal tunnel thumb, carpal tunnel finger, because we spend so much time scrolling. Listen, we take time to email, scroll through social media. We take time to run errands. We've got sports. We've got every other thing else in the world. And yet we treat God's word many times like an unwanted guest in our heart. Well, I don't have time for that. That's what I do on Sunday. No. No. Please. No. We get together on Sunday so that I can encourage you. So that you can encourage me. Right? We're to encourage one another. I'm to challenge you to be better than you were yesterday. You're to challenge me to be better than we were yesterday. We don't get together just on Sunday to open up God's word. We get together on Sunday to worship God. We get together on Sunday to pray to God corporately as a body. We get together on Sunday to celebrate God. This should not be, listen, we're hurting. If if your only dose of spirituality is Pastor Greg on Sunday, may God help us all. We 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 got to allow God's word to dwell richly in our hearts In all wisdom, right? It's so incredibly important what we do with God's word. In fact, Ephesians 5, in verse 15 and 16, very familiar couple of verses of scripture. The Bible says this, See then that you walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means carefully. See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word redeeming, you've heard this before, it means to buy up or to make good use of the time that we have. And if there's one thing I recognize is that the closer I get to that side, time is running out of control. It seems like it was January the 6th, just two weeks ago. And here we are again. January the 6th, 2019. Oh, what a privilege to spend time in God's Word. Psalm, if you're in Psalm, if you have that finger in Psalm 119, we'll flip back and forth. But Psalm 119 and verse number 18, the Bible says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The psalmist here is basically saying, Uncover. He's saying, God, uncover. Open up my eyes. In other words, give me some spiritual goggles. That I might be able to see and behold some of the hidden things that are hidden from natural vision. In other words, give me the spiritual wherewithal to see some of your wondrous works. In Psalm 119 in verse number 27, uh, Psalmist again says, make me to understand. What he's saying is separate from me mentally, distinguish the way of thy precepts. When, when God's word says precepts, it's referencing his word. Right? Instead of my precepts, the psalmist says, notice it says, make me to understand the way of your precepts. See, we have our precepts, we have our own desires, our own thoughts, our own ways, right? But the psalmist says that's no good. He's like, God, help me, help me to understand, help me to know more fully what your precepts are all about. And notice what he says will happen. He says, when you do that, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. Only the Lord can put his wisdom in our hearts, and he does so through his word. Last week, I referenced earlier, just for a second, we looked at the sad story surrounding David's sinful downfall with Bathsheba. But if you remember, we also took time to celebrate his personal repentance, uh, God's restoration in his life, and then also what David said. Remember, he said, then... Will I teach transgressors thy way, right? And sinners shall be converted unto thee. That was verse number 13 of Psalm 51. He said, here's what I'm going to do, God. Now that I've repented, now that you've restored me, here's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to teach transgressors thy way. I'm going to teach others just like myself. So here's what I am minded about. David was a man covered with flesh, right? He was a man of sinful passions and pleasures, just like you and I. But he was also a man after God's own heart. I was talking with somebody earlier this morning, and it's amazing how so many people uh, feel like they can't be used of God because they have a sinful past. Can I tell you, that's the devil. That's the devil trying to hold you in your tracks. God wants to use you today. He wants you to quit looking back and to begin to look forward. It's okay to take a review and to repent, and to allow God to restore our lives. But then we ought to keep moving forward. We shouldn't look back. I think about what David said at another critical point in his life. In Psalm 63, in verse number 1, notice what he says. He says, O God, thou art my God. He's saying a couple of things there. He's referencing Elohim and El. He says, O God, all-powerful God, you're my God. You're the only God I have. Notice what he says. He says, early will I seek thee. Look to your right and to your left to the walls. The letters are up there on the wall. It says first things first. When David says early will I seek thee, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, God, you're my God. And so I'm going to put first things first. Isn't that what we're reminded in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 33 where Matthew's gospel tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. So there's incredibly important information here in this psalm alone. He says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. He's saying, I'm thirsty for your word. My flesh longeth for thee. I want to worship you. I want to praise you. I want to enjoy you as if I'm in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. You see, for David, a life without God and his word was no life at all. The same's true for us. A life without God and his word is no life at all. There's people that are running, rip racing and running here to there to yonder, and we see them every day in the marketplace. We see them in our neighborhoods. We have them in our family. For crying out loud, we have family members who are living a life of just total chaos, right? And yet we have the answer inside of our heart. It becomes us to share that with other people. Oh, listen, we only have so much time in this this life, and so we have to make use of it while we can. Listen, when God's word begins to really dwell in us richly, I just have to believe that you and I are going to see the fruit. You and I are going to begin to see the fruit. You see, instead of reading and hearing God's word and then forgetting about it an hour or so later, it will become a part of us. It will begin to live inside of us. And when God's word is dwelling and living inside of us, it's going to begin to flow. It's going to begin to ooze out of our lives in so many glorious ways. We'll not even be able to understand it. I wrote myself a note and I had to stop because I could have got off on a big old rabbit trail, but I put a box around it, and I said, I'm convinced the reason there's so much conflict in our country and the world today is because God's word is not dwelling in our hearts. We expect, as believers, people who have no relationship with Jesus to act as if they do, which is why we many times neglect the opportunity to share Jesus with them. We say, well, you ought to act like I act. Well, that's ludicrous. That's ludicrous to think that somebody is going to speak to you kindly. They're going to treat you with, uh, with mercy and forgiveness and, and all those things that we should be giving to one another If they don't have a relationship with the Lord, which is why it's so important that we let God's word dwell in us richly so that when we get into confrontation with other people, we can allow a little bit of Jesus out instead of ourselves. Am I right? Folks, God's word is authoritative. In fact, look at Psalm 119. There are 176 verses. This is the longest Chapter in the Bible. And you know what the yeoman share of Psalm 119 deals with? God's Word. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about God's Word. In fact, in this Psalm alone, God's Word is referenced with these words. It's referenced as God's law, His testimonies, His ways, His precepts, statutes, His commandments, His judgments, His Word, all of which refer to... God's precious word. The overwhelming message from each of these words and more point us to the fact that God is in charge. Listen, for believers, I put myself a note. For believers, and this this, this actually stings a little bit. It stung me yesterday. I had to take off my shoes for a second. As believers, obedience is expected. Not an option. Right? Like, we, like as believers, we're like, eh, eh, I think I'll obey that. Verse, that seems pretty pretty nice. Then when we get to a hard verse, we're like, "Lord, you're crazy. Are you seriously asking me to do this? You want me to? I mean, that's insane. You want me to walk by faith and not by sight? I mean, I see this out here, and I could go over here and and grab this for myself. Remember, most of those thoughts are driven by our personal desire, not what God wants for us, right? And so sometimes when we read God's word, we're, we're afraid to respond, but it doesn't change its authority one bit. It is authoritative. Listen, God's word is reliable, and you say, well, how can you say God's word is reliable? Because it comes from God. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from uh, you or a group of uh, individuals. In fact, Psalm 119, in Psalm 119, verse number 160, the Bible says, Thy word is true from when? From the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. In 2 Timothy 3, you've heard this, these two verses for years. In 2 Timothy 3, the Bible says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, notice it says, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That word truly means completely furnished, be complete. You say, well, that doesn't really prove anything. Well, 2 Peter 1 reminds us in verse number 19 and following, it says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that you take heed. In our Bible study class, I asked our class members, I said, what does it mean when the Bible says take heed? It means to pay attention. Pay attention to what's being said, because here's what it says. It says, as unto a light, it says we have a more sure word of prophecy You say, well, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. No, Paul was used by the Holy Spirit of God to write the New Testament, right? And so we we gotta be careful that we don't confuse things. Listen, the Bible is full of hope. It's full of hope. What are you facing today? Whatever you're facing, the Bible has the answer for your need. Well, it can't pay my rent. Oh, the Bible's full of hope. It can't take this disease away. No, but the one who wrote the Bible can. The one who one who gave you his word is the one who can get you out of financial ruin. The one who wrote the Bible, one who gave his life for the sins of the world is the one that can bring you up and set your feet and establish your going on the solid rock Christ Jesus, right? And so it's full of hope. It has answers. I need answers every day. I'm a kooky guy. I'm honest. I look in the mirror and I say, I don't even understand what you're doing, Lord. But yes, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it. Right? That should be all of our answers. When I don't have answers, you know where I go? I go to the throne of God's grace to find help in my time of need. I need answers financially. God's got the answers if I'll just follow his word. I need answers. I don't understand why I'm dealing with this health problem. I don't understand why I've been dealing with cancer for four and a half, five years now. It's getting crazy, right? I don't understand this, Lord. The Bible says, I was telling Donna. I was telling your mom the other day when I talked to her before surgery. I said, Donna, I know you're a strong woman of God. I said, but I want to encourage you this. In Isaiah verse in chapter 26 and verse 23, Isaiah tells us that God, for the person who keeps their mind stayed on thee, God will give us perfect peace. I said, you may be anxious. Lyle may be anxious. Your sons may be anxious. Everybody may be anxious about this surgery. But God's not anxious at all. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going to happen, right? And so I told her, and I said, and then after you meditate on verse number three, encourage yourself on verse number four because verse number four of Isaiah 26 says that he is our everlasting strength. Oh, God's word has the answers. It offers comfort for the broken and the lonely hearted. But I can assure you that that dirty devil, that liar, that murderer, the one who walks about seeking whom he may devour, I can assure you that he will do whatever it takes to discredit God's word in your heart. I was reading um, John MacArthur, pastor and teacher John MacArthur, and he has a book entitled Our Sufficiency in Christ. And in this book he said these words, he said, contemporary evangelicalism has been beguiled and sabotaged by a ruinous lack of confidence in God's word. I'm not talking about the question of whether God gave us an inerrant Bible. Of course, he did. And the great majority of evangelicals accept that without question. Then he says, but. He says, but many who would never doubt the Bible's authenticity... As God's word or distrust its essential authority as a guide for righteous living. Have nevertheless accepted the notion that scripture simply does not contain all that we need to minister well in these complex and sophisticated modern times. So... They turn to human expertise in the fields of psychology, business, government, politics, entertainment, or whatever else they think might supply some recipe for success that's lacking in Scripture. Can I tell you, when we turn to those avenues, we will be let down time after time after time. Psalm number 19. The psalmist writes this. In verse number 7 and following, he says the law of the Lord. Notice what he says about the law of the Lord. He says it's perfect. He says converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord. These are all speaking of God's word, by the way. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And he goes on, he says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Verse number 11, notice this, because it's really important. Moreover, by them, Is thy servant, what? Servant warned. By them we're warned. But in keeping them, there is great, what? Great reward. Oh, God's word is reliable because it speaks truth to our human condition. Which, by the way, hasn't changed. We're We're still sinners. It hadn't changed one iota. And so the reliability of God's Word is pretty important. God's Word has authority, it's reliable, but God's Word is also powerful. Listen, Isaiah 40 in verse number 8 says, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand how long? Somebody say it again, how long? Forever. We need to convince ourselves that God's Word isn't going anywhere. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world, His Word will stand forever. Oh, God's word brings life. We know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Romans ten seventeen, we also know in John chapter three, Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. We know those things, but Psalm 119 in verse number 93, the Bible says, I will never forget thy precepts for with them thou hast quickened me. The psalmist says, your word has made me to live, has brought life to me. Oh, God's word brings life, it brings stability, as I said. But there's a good news and a bad news situation here. You say, what's the bad news? The bad news is found in 2 Timothy 3, in verse 12. You see, because that verse reminds us that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You walk out these doors, there's not going to be many people encouraging you to get into God's word, which is why I'm encouraging you today to do it, right? Right? You walk into your job, you walk into the workplace, and many of you work in very difficult situations where if you even mention the name of God or Jesus, you can be, you can be reprimanded. And, and, and this, this is a sign of the times, folks, that we're living in. But I can tell you that when you read Psalm 119, you can clearly see that this psalmist is living in a hostile environment. This psalmist has been afflicted and persecuted over and over. Read Psalm 119 today. You will see that this psalmist is living in hostile times. He is afflicted, is being persecuted, which is why there's so many references to God's Word. And what's really neat is that through all of those different things, it was God's Word that was the stabilizing force in the psalmist's life. God's word will be the stabilizing force in my life and in your life if you allow it to be. In verse 92 of Psalm 119, the psalmist put it this way. He said, unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. Unless I took joy in your word, Lord, I would have perished long time ago. Oh, it brings life, it brings stability, it brings direction. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119.24 also says, Thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. I was, I was reminded of this story and, and uh, you may have heard about the man a long time ago who needed to know God's will for his life. And so he did one of these. He was like, hey, you ever done that? It's like, oh, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And he did one of those and he pointed to the verse of scripture. He needed to know what God's will for his life was. And the verse that he pointed to said Judas went and hanged himself. He said, hold on a second, I don't like that one. It was almost like he's rolling dice. Try it again and he opened up again and the other verse said, go and do thou likewise. Likewise. Okay, Lord, I'm not liking what you have to say, so let me try again. I want to get into your word. I, 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 want, to, I want to be used, and I want, to, I want to hear from you today. So, bam, he opens up again, and it says, What thou doest, doest thou quickly? <laughs> Guys, that's funny, but it's also sad. <laughs> Can I tell you, God's word brings direction. In our life. But it will only. Watch this. It will only bring direction for you. It will only bring direction for me. When we remember what Paul wrote to the church at Colossus. And we say. Lord I want your word to dwell. Richly. In my life. With all wisdom. So that I might be able to teach. That I might be able to admonish. That I might be able to sing praises to you with grace with thanksgiving. Oh, yes, it brings life, it brings stability, it brings direction. Listen, God's word brings purity. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Oh, listen, Psalm 119, 133. The psalmist said, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. John Bunyan, it was John Bunyan who said these words. He said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I like what D.L. Moody, speaking on the importance of God's word, D.L. Moody once declared this. He said, the only way to keep a broken vessel full, watch this. The only way to keep a broken vessel full is by keeping the faucet turned on. He was referencing the importance of God's word in our lives as broken vessels. Are we truly broken vessels for the Lord? He said... Hey, you want to you have some success? You want to have some stability? You want to have some direction? You want to live a life that's pure, that brings honor and glory to God? You've got to keep the faucet of God's Word turned on in your life. Oh, listen, we need God's Word to fill up our lives today. It's like that old song, the B, right? When I was a kid, the B-I-B-L-E. Oh, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Beginning today, I beg you, I plead with you, I implore you, I don't know how many other adjectives I can think of, to resolve in your heart. Put up Colossians 3.16, the whole verse. I want us to see the whole verse. I beg you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Notice it goes on teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The only way, the only way that we do those things is when God takes up residency. But here's the problem with this. I also put in my notes, listen, if you and I don't know what the Bible says, if God's word does not feel settled or at home in our hearts, it becomes literally impossible Impossible to teach anybody or instruct anybody in what God has to say. It becomes impossible for us to admonish anyone. And for those who sometimes get sideways, it becomes impossible for you to sing praises about God. You know where it talks there about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? I want to... Invite you sometime to look at your hymn book. There are no hymns in there that were written in the first century. The hymns that the Word is speaking about is the very Word of God. They would have sung psalms. They would have sang these these songs that were speaking about God. They were not talking about, what is this called? Soul-stirring songs and hymns. Right? Or the beautiful hymn book, whatever the name of it is. And I love all our hymns, but I also love spiritual songs. But guess what? When I was a child, I also learned this in Psalm 25. Psalm 25 was the first one that I learned. In fact, Psalm 25, verse number one. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed which transgress or uh, let me not be ashamed let not my enemies triumph over me. This is what they were talking about. Unless God's word dwells in us richly, we don't know how or what to sing about God, and much less do it with thanksgiving in our hearts. Right? Let it dwell richly in your life. It will not only reap personal rewards, it will reap God-honoring rewards. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.